succession planning for fundraising. Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakovich. This is the first day from the fundraising school, and I'm joined today by the indomitable, the incomparable, the legend. We all know her. She's been teaching for the fundraising school for nearly 20 years and working nationally and internationally as a highly regarded fundraising consultant, my colleague, Gasby Brown. And Gasby, welcome back to the Fundraising Schools podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Bill. You know, it's such an honor to be here with you. And every time we get together, it is so much fun. So thank you. There are so many topics that we can discuss with you because you have so much expertise. Uh, but what we want to talk with you today is uh, about the topic of what happens when the chief executive departs the organization or the chief development officer departs the nonprofit. And they have all these deep relationships with donors. And now that individual is leaving and we want the donors to maintain their relationship with the nonprofit organization. So we want to be talking about succession planning and fundraising. However, before we do, it's ironic that we're talking with Gatsby about this topic because we have mixed emotions as she is transitioning from the fundraising school and her fundraising consulting work into full time activity as an artist. So first of all, Gatsby, congratulations on this transition. We wish you the very best. You're already demonstrating. You have an art fair behind you there uh, to uh, help us enjoy as we're having this conversation. And, and I have to ask you, 20 years in this work, what are some of the biggest changes you've seen over these two decades? Well, I can really say with confidence and a great deal of joy that I've seen more diversity, more racial diversity, in particular, more women uh, entering into the training field and the teaching field and also in fundraising itself. So that has been very gratifying. And then I've really, really found a deeper curiosity by people who are attending the courses about fundraising and the data that is uh, associated with it. Those data that the Fundraising School and the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy uh, is responsible for has just been enormously uh, helpful, but the effort that is put in cannot be totally appreciated unless people really appreciate it. So I've seen a deeper appreciation for data and uh, the science of fundraising. Gatsby Brown has been a strong voice for diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, even before the most recent reawakening around this important topic that started in 2020. Uh, and Gatsby also has been a diligent teacher, dedicated, impactful instructor for the fundraising school. And even though she's transitioning, her chapter on board engagement with fundraising remains uh, in the fifth edition of Achieving Excellence in Fundraising. So we'll still be able to gather from her wisdom as she transitions to this new world as a full-time artist. Now, Gasby, let's say you were the chief executive officer or the chief development officer of a nonprofit organization as you're making this wonderful transition. How can a nonprofit prepare? How do we maintain our fundraising when a key person departs? Well, it really starts with planning beforehand, not thinking about the departure, but thinking about succession planning, period. So I want to talk about what succession planning is and what it is not a little bit. First of all, what it is not is a one-time event. It is not replacing a position because on the other hand, there's a difference between succession and replacement. Succession is proactive, replacement is reactive, right, Bill? And then uh, succession planning is really planning for the future of management development. So you're identifying people within the organization that can be developed. And then when you, on the other side, when you're just talking about replacement, 
that's a form of risk because you're just about to step down and you're not quite sure who should be uh, chosen for, to, for this replacement. And that may be a very, um, I think, accelerated uh, process because of the, the whole, uh, I guess, the environment that it creates, that there needs to be replacement. Then it's, uh, succession planning is about being strategic, whereas replacement is just substituting. You're just substituting the person to be there. And then there needs to be organized alignment with the organization for sure with succession planning. Whereas with replacement, it's a narrow approach. You don't want to just be able to be in a box where you must replace the person in a set period of time. Say it's a capital campaign and this person leaves, CEO leaves without this kind of planning. That can be really, really very detrimental to the organization. And then you must be flexible in succession planning. And then on the other hand, replacement is restricted because you are just replacing. So I wanted to talk about that a little bit more and to, to talk about what succession planning is not. So you need to plan for this ahead of time. You know, Cassidy, another, yeah, another distinction that I, I love as you describe these important differences between succession planning and replacement. You were hired by my predecessor, Dr. Tim Seiler. Yes. Uh, so when I became director of the fundraising school, I said I didn't replace Tim Seiler because you can't replace Tim Seiler. He was such an effective leader and we can't replace Gasby Brown. But we'll I succeeded Tim Seiler and we hopefully will find successors in your teaching role. To me, that also honors the individual strengths of each person, the incumbent leader and also the person who comes next. Absolutely. And often. It should be looked upon as developing leadership from the inside as well. Uh, we know that often it comes from the outside. There needs to be fresh eyes, uh, another way of seeing things, uh, which you brought in your wonderful leadership. And uh, at the same time, you, looking at who could be a leader is very important, not just for that uh, succession, but for other successions within the organization, including the board. So let's say, you know, Bill, you are a sports fan. So am I. Mine is real basketball. And uh, there's a such thing as bench strength. And you want to have the kind of bench strength that can move up if a player happened to get hurt or whatever took place, then uh, there would be someone to step in, but they've been identified ahead of time. So let's let's talk a little bit about who is a leader, because that is what you would want, a leader. A leader is one who guides, directs, influences, and shows the way to others. So you want to look at that as uh, you're looking at this two years out, three years out in the succession. And what about the potential, the leadership potential? Uh, who has the ability and capacity to uh, grow and be a leader? And then the other thing is performance, technical skills abilities, subject matter expertise, um, and be able to maintain and develop working relationships. Think about how it would be if a person were to exceed a CEO that did a wonderful job in their subject matter, but everybody was skeptical, nobody really, really trusted them or liked them because of their leadership of skills or lack thereof. And so making sure that those three things are being tested, um, is, they are very important. And in addition to the strong bench, identifying potential candidates for the next leader of the organization, Gasby, how important is that strong bench to maintain fundraising 
during the season of transition until the new leader is identified. That is so, so important. And I've seen it so many times where there has been this lapse in fundraising because the leader uh, held on to the prospect, the, the potential donors, uh, really held on to a lot of the uh, donors who were major gift donors and those who were going to be potential major gift donors. And that's why it's so important to have a great CRM and uh, have the bench being in that team, having access to the information so that there is uh, real information about touch points, what needs to be done next with major donors and other donors, what's the next step in the annual giving program. All of these things need to be shared with the team and not held so close to the vest by the leader. And uh, I am very, very happy to say that that doesn't happen that often in the nonprofit world that I see, but it does happen. And it's uh, one of those red flags that uh, nonprofit organizations should be aware of to say, we don't want to be like that. So um, I also uh, think highly about, there's a nine grid matrix that HR people put together for succession planning that looks a lot like our nine grid uh, that we have for major giving so that we are really rating for peer rating and other ratings so that we are able to identify potential major gift uh, donors so that we're using our time uh, wisely. So there is something that's on the vertical uh, axis that uh, will actually uh, make sure that it is measured, the leadership potential. And then on the horizontal axis, it's about performance. And there are one A's and one B's and all of these things that we have done and three B's and three A's that we do in uh, our matrix for fundraising that can be used with succession planning as well. Yasmin, what about donor relations? Uh, if uh, you're the CEO, you're the chief development officer, you've been with the nonprofit a long time, people certainly are supporting the cause and the nonprofit and the nonprofit's impact, but they also have that professional, good working relationship with you. Now you're transitioning into a new season of life. What recommendations do you have and guidance do you have for nonprofits? Should we be meeting with donors individually? Should we take another person with us to meetings if we're meeting individually? Instead, is it a broadcast announcement? Is it no announcement at all? Because the key is the nonprofit and the cause and the impact. How do we communicate with donors during these seasons of transition? And Bill, I've seen the good, bad, and the ugly on this one. And the good is certainly what you have mentioned, to bring other leaders and other people in the fundraising team along on visits as this transition is taking place to introduce them, to get them, uh, uh, well, to get them uh, knowledgeable about the donor and to also give them an orientation that helps them understand why your relationship was so strong, why it was so valuable to the donor. And that begins to transfer and translate into the team spirit. And not only is it so important to take other team members on visits with potential donors, it is very important to share as much information about the donor as possible that should be in the prospect research uh, area and should be shared with everyone that uh, is relevant to, to this ask. Uh, it's an ethical question also that becomes uh, apparent here. I have seen the ugly where a CEO or a development uh, VP will take their, what they call their donors with them to another organization. There is really an ethical dilemma to do that. And I would say that it could be a temptation 
on the part of a, a leader to say, these are my donors, but these are the donors of the organization. They are supporting the mission of the organization, not you as an individual. So to look at this and be fair and ethical would be very, very important at this very critical stage. Yes, we have a couple of leadership guidelines that I've been persuaded by. I'm wondering if you agree and how they might apply or maybe not to the situation. One is that if a leader has led well, meaning an in-group leader involving the team, not top-down, not based on the leader's personality, but truly a group effort uh, on behalf of the nonprofit's success, that really after that leader departs, the nonprofit actually can stay strong for a little while, 12, 18, 24 months, because of the positive momentum. How important is it for the chief development officer, the chief executive officer, to be leading with that inclusive in-group leadership style so that when they do move on to their next season of life, the nonprofit can't continue at least for a short amount of time until the new leader puts their mark on the organization. It is enormously important for that leader to have developed other people that would be able to step up to the plate and make sure that the organization is strong and vibrant, even in their absence. And it's an ego thing. They'd like to think that they're indispensable, but at the same time, the higher calling of what we do in fundraising and philanthropy, it really requires us to be ethical and to make sure that we are strengthening the organization to the best of our ability, whether we are there or not. Because what if we get sick? What if we are crossing the street and something happens? We cannot depend on uh, just one leader doing everything. That is not a sound way of uh, operating as a nonprofit organization that is going to succeed. And Gasby, you've touched on this in some of your answers already. I'd, I'd like you to expand on this if you could, please. Um, and that is, you know, providing adequate time uh, for departure. And that other leadership guideline is that the last responsibility of the leader is to either help identify their successor or at least make sure the successor is set up to be able to be effective and successful. Uh, just let our audience know, Gasby gave us several months notice that this transition was coming. It wasn't just, oh, here's a two-week notice and I'm done. And that was great professionalism on her part. Gasby, what about that chief executive officer, that chief development officer? What is a good, healthy time frame so that these transitions can happen and the meetings with donors can happen and the preparation of the team can occur as you've been teaching us here today? Well, actually, good succession planning should take place at least two years before the departure. And this is something that the executive or the chief development officer doesn't even know that they're leaving yet, but succession planning should be an intricate part of the leadership, of their leadership. Let me identify a couple of people more than that, depending on the size of the organization, that I could identify to begin to develop into a leadership position. This is part of developing teams as well. So it should be uh, so intricately involved in the leadership uh, strategy of that CEO or the, the chief development officer that it is baked in to the process. If there ever is a Mount Rushmore of fundraising expertise, Gasby Brown is going to be up there. Uh, what a wonderful colleague she is for the fundraising school. Gasby Brown, a cherished member of the fundraising school's faculty for two decades, uh, and her fingerprints all over our courses. We have nearly two dozen public courses that teach a wide range of fundraising and leadership. They lead to four different certificates and can be brought to you in total or 
sliced together and grafted together in our custom training, specifically for your nonprofit or your association, your region. These courses are in person in eight U.S. cities, online, anywhere across the world. We also have our quarterly webinars, these podcasts, and as we mentioned earlier, our textbook, Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, the fifth edition. All of this available on our website at philanthropy.iui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. With much gratitude to our guest today, Gatsby Brown, our producers are Mike Anthony and Jennifer Boffman. I'm Bill Stanjakevich, and now you are now more fully informed on this first day from the fundraising school. Thank you.